Hey everyone, this is Chad. I appreciate you taking time to listen to my sermon. It will start in a moment, but first I want to let you know about something you might find beneficial. For every sermon series, we produce a booklet full of thought-provoking questions, extra Bible passages, family activities, and discussion starters, and personal challenges. We give these out to the people in our church, but now we want to make them available to you. To get it, just visit the series page on our site and click on the series booklet button. For this series, the page is creeksidebiblechurch.org slash quietwrath. I really do hope you'll take advantage of this. They're a great resource. And just one more thing. If this sermon is impactful, would you do me a favor and email us at respond at creekside.me? That would be awesome. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that you will learn and live more fully for Jesus. Every year I preach a sermon series on one of the seven deadly sins, and this is the fifth year of doing that, and I'm really excited. The the last four have been life-changing for me, and from conversations I've had, it's been life-changing for other people, and and I think this one will uh, prove to follow suit. I think that we are, are going to be impacted by this series of sermons, not because they're um, my sermons, but because what we see in the Bible really matters to our lives and to uh, a topic, I think, that we care about and that we think about. Now, when it comes to gluttony or even greed, you know, the other things we've done, I've almost had to talk you into how bad they are, you know, like greed is kind of a virtue in our country and gluttony who cares, and, uh, and laziness, like, yeah, we all do that, you know, I'm having a lazy Saturday afternoon, and, uh, and um, envy, we kind of know that's bad, but I mean, we say it like, it, we like are flipping about envy and jealousy, you know, when we, we, we say, oh, I'm so jealous all the time without ever thinking about it, and so uh, those kind of sins are not sins that, that we think about often, nor really care about, and I hope that I've done a good job the last four years of really talking you into how profoundly negative those things can be in our lives and how uh, profoundly positive it can be if we begin to remove them and, and go kind of the opposite way, God's way on those issues. And you can listen to all those online if, if you haven't. Uh, I would recommend doing that. But this year, we're going to talk about wrath or just to give you a definition of wrath it's really bad anger. That's pretty much wrath in a nutshell. And so we will, I will in the series, really use wrath and anger just about synonymously. But uh, you kind of know the difference, right? Like you're angry a lot, but there's just few moments where you would call yourself wrathful or maybe there's never any moment where you would ever call yourself wrathful. But if you can look back on times in your life, you've probably experienced wrath, really bad angry anger where you're feel hot and you you just you know it's bad and so here's the thing like with those other sins it's like we got to kind of be talked into them being wrong but if if you're anything like me like as a person is just if you're a human then you have experienced the profound negative effects of anger we know that anger is 
bad. We all understand that. We all have seen anger negatively affect our families. We've seen anger uh, hurt relationships. Maybe there's relationships that you're no longer in because at some point, at some time in your history in that relationship, people got mad and now they don't talk anymore. You don't talk to them anymore. They won't talk to you anymore. You, you maybe grew up in a home where anger was like the emotion and, and you know that you still are trying to overcome those emotions. And, and so anger, you get this, you understand. Anger is something that hurts people. It's bad. We don't like it. And, and that's the other part of this deal is I don't think that any of us would say, I love anger. Some may say, I love gluttony, you know, I mean, I just, I went through a whole week and felt like I was a glutton and I loved it. Some may say, I love my greed because it drives me, it moves me forward, you know. I, I even love jealousy because it gives me something to shoot for. But nobody, I don't think anybody goes, I love how angry I get. It's awesome. Because we know it doesn't produce anything good ever, right? I mean, it doesn't produce anything good Ever In a recent sermon, I declared that danger was mainly anger. And I had the little lowercase d and then the capital anger in that same word. Because, because we, all, we all know that's true. I had to talk you into it because you hadn't thought about it before. But danger is mainly anger. I mean, most of the things that we fear in our lives are because somebody somewhere is, is an angry person. You know, like I'm, if you walk into the inner city and you're like, I hope I don't get mugged or killed. It's because, you know, there's angry people out there. And, uh, and when you went to your Christmas parties, you feared somebody was going to get angry and it's going to blow up. And, and so this, this angry feeling, this emotion, it leads to bad things. And, and we all know that it leads to things that are, are bad. We see it personally, we see it corporately, we see it all around us. Uh, however, let me just say however, although we kind of know intuitively that anger is bad, there seems to be a movement. I think this sermon series is hitting at the right spot, the right year really when it comes to uh, this kind of mega series on the seven deadly sins. Because in, in some ways more than ever, anger has become a culturally accepted feeling, uh, response. Uh, it's almost become, in some ways, in some areas of our society, a virtue. And let me just read you a quote that I, I stumbled across this, this last week. Finally, I am quite convinced that the United States of America in the 21st century is a profoundly angry culture. And in contemporary discourse, anger, often labeled outrage, is almost regarded as a virtue. When someone with whom we agree goes off on someone with whose position we disagree, we applaud that anger, the belittling, the demeaning words. One factor that seems clearly, at least to me, to be at work behind the distressing number of shootings and mass murders in our country is the generally angry and violent tone of significant aspects of our culture. As Christians, if I am correct about this, we find ourselves living in an angry culture and there is a great danger that the culture's catechesis about anger will affect and infect the church. Kind of feel like that's true, right? We have a term for it, like righteous anger. And, and, and as Christians, we just 
almost dismiss our anger at everybody who disagrees with us as just righteous anger, a term that you don't find in the Bible, by the way, and a term that is not explicitly ever taught to be good in the Bible. There are a few stories that kind of look like righteous anger might be good, but it's never taught. And so we we just have a label for good anger now. Like, well, they're a Democrat, so of course I have to be angry. They're I'm they're not on God's side, you know, or just so I keep everybody listening. Like, oh, they're a Republican. They can't be on God's side. I must be angry at them, you know? And we just label this. And so it seems, it seems that maybe God has us looking at this topic now, uh, not because personally we have all of a sudden gone, oh, angry so good, I want to be angry all the time, but because maybe culturally we have started to embrace anger as more of a virtue than, than maybe any other time in the history of our country. And so here is what I, I think needs to happen today. I think that we need to make a decision, and this is what I'm going to try to do for you, help you make this decision, that anger is foolish. Now, culturally, I just described how sometimes we we just embrace anger as a good thing. We call it outrage, and we see outrage all the time. Somebody shoots a... uh, an ape and everybody is outraged, everybody's furious, and we say, good, 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 you know, they should be outraged, and we just see anger as this good thing, but, but I think, just maybe it's just me, maybe it's just me, it could be you, but maybe it's just me, that sometimes, while we don't like our anger, we still see it is almost positive, or we dismiss it as okay, well, yeah, I'm angry at them, and yeah, I yelled at them, but I needed to put them in their place. Well, yeah, I, I blew up on that guy at work, but probably made him a better worker. Or he had it coming. That's part of our attitude, right? And so I think that while culturally we're embracing anger a little more, I think individually forever, you know, as long as I've been alive and it seems that people are not trending in any direction on this, we have a tendency to, within ourselves, not outright declare anger is good and okay and acceptable, but somewhere deep in our subconscious to go, well, of course I got angry about that. Look what they did. And and so I just, this morning for the first sermon in this series, uh, we're gonna do something a little different and we're gonna look at one verse just specifically kind of at the end, but I just wanna kind of take a comprehensive look at what the Bible declares about anger and I think what it's going to show us is that it's, foolish. Anger is foolish. That's what I want you to hear today. And and the first way that the Bible kind of shows us that anger is foolish is, is simply in this. It's the way that the Bible uses the term angry throughout the Bible. There's a bunch of words that can translate angrier or things like anger, like anger, wrath, mad, just like English, right? And, and Hebrew and Greek, same way. But just a couple of the words that get, I think, just show its negativity. One of the words that translates anger in the Bible, it has its root in to be hot. We know that feeling, right? If you've ever been super angry. I, I don't get that way when I'm just angry. But when I'm very angry, I'm just, you end up, you physically end up hot, but you feel hot and you see red and it all feels warm, right? And I've heard people describe, and I've never been this outraged, but like before they get in a fight, just going hot and it's blank and then they're in a fight and they don't really know what happens. And, and the Bible uses a word to, to describe anger that uses that root. Another, that uses that root. Another word that has its 
root in the word nostril. And I just picture like the flaring of nostrils, you know, and it, it shows the, the violence, I think, that comes when we get angry. And it, it, it describes that when we are angry, we begin to react to it in some type of way that can be seen most of the time. And that's really one of the, the most dangerous parts of anger. That's the part we all know is the symptoms of anger. That when we become angry, it starts to show on the outside. It could be through yelling at people. It could be through fighting. In some cases, as, as that author earlier uh, described for us, it, it leads to people shooting people. I mean, it leads to wars. And so the Bible knows what we, what we know. The Bible teaches and shows what we know. And that is that, that anger is foolish because anger is an emotion that doesn't stay inside. I'm not sure any emotion does. I mean, most people can see when you're sad, you can try to hide it, but most people see it. But when you're sad, you cry. When you're angry, you fight. And it's so clear just from our own personal lives, and this, we just need to get this in our head. The Bible seems to show this, but we know this, that, that when we are angry, it starts to express itself in ways that have very negative consequences. But there's this other root word that the Bible uses. And it's a root word that is connected to poison or venom. Anger is poison for our souls and for our hearts, right? Like if you've ever been angry at something long enough, eventually that thing and and your relationship to that thing will become poisoned it will deteriorate it will get worse it will become unhealthy it will be sick and eventually if it goes on long enough like if we got bit by a snake it it will die you could think about a relationship that you have and, and if you've ever stayed angry long enough at a single person you can fake it for a while right you can show up at the family parties and and maybe you could get in a couple of arguments and try to get it out and express that anger and let those nostrils flare and you can try to get it out of you but if it stays for months and years and decades the relationship goes away we see this in marriages, right? People allow for anger to be just like a defining emotion in their relationships, in their marriages. And, and over time, what happens to the marriages? They, they die. The marriage dies. God seems to make a big deal out of this topic. And, and I think it's because he knows how foolish anger is. In the New Testament, and we'll look at some just super profound, found New Testament passages that deal with anger. But in the New Testament, there's up, up to 20 words that reference anger. It's like God didn't want us to be able to dismiss one kind of anger, you know, and, and it's like, well, I just, you know, I'm just that kind of angry. It's just a little frustrated or whatever. And, and especially, and I know this because I am married and because we've been mad at each other before, like women seem to have like 30 different words to express anger. And, and God understood, I think, like the Bible's written for women too. And so it's like, hey, you're frustrated? Yes. You're angry, yes. You're mad, even though you think those are different. I have a word for all of them. And so therefore you need to understand that all of it is foolish. When you feel this thing that's connected to, tied to anger, it's all foolish. Now, I just pause here and say, we need to understand that if God makes a big deal of something, we should too. 
And, and I've learned through experience, not from degrees or study of the Bible or anything like that, just from experience and a little bit of reading the Bible. Uh, what I've come to the conclusion of is that if God makes a big deal out of something, then we should make a big deal out of it too. The older and hopefully more mature I become in my relationship with God, my relationship with Jesus, I discover that things that God seemed to make a big deal out of that I never made a big deal out of, I should have made a big deal about them all along. And eventually it's like, oh, I need to fix this. I should have fixed it 15 years ago and I would have been better off. And, and so just cursory, 500 references, bunch of words, 40 people or groups that, that the Bible talks about being angry. Just, just start with this with me. We know that anger is foolish because God makes a big deal about how negative it is. But then there's this other way that we know from scripture that anger is foolish and that is the stories. And there are just a bunch of stories that show the foolishness of anger. A bunch of them. I mean, I'm not going to include them all here, but uh, it's either that the person just seems foolish later or that it leads to very bad consequences. And, and the very first one in the Bible, and this is the one we talked about in our family series just a couple of uh, series back, and we talked about Cain and his brother Abel, and we saw that, and, and if you know the story of Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother, but in the middle of the story, there's this conversation that Cain has with God. And in the middle of that conversation, we read this. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. And God doesn't say, don't kill your brother to Cain. He says, stop being angry. And then Cain doesn't listen. And what happens? He kills his brother. And in that story, what we saw a few months ago is that the family is destroyed. And we've been fighting an uphill battle in our families ever since. And it's all, it's all finds its root. Every problem that you had over Christmas or Thanksgiving with the family member, everything you thought like, well, this isn't quite right. And I should have a little better relationship with them. Or this is terrible. And they're an idiot. And I don't ever want to see them again. All of that was because Cain didn't see the foolishness of his anger. Then there's this guy named Balaam, and, uh, and, and he's interesting because he just is an idiot in the Bible. And then we see this story where, I'm not I'm going to make a long story short, but, but he's in the middle of his story, there's an angel in the middle of the road, and the angel is going to kill him because God's trying to prevent him from doing the thing that he's going to do to curse the Israelite people. And, and his donkey's trying to veer to the right and the left, and then and this is what we see about him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he, talking about Balaam, not the donkey, was angry and beat it with his staff. And it's such a fascinating, just like little detail in the middle of the story of this guy who becomes a picture of what not to live like in the New Testament. He's in the Old Testament. So thousands of years later, the, the writers of the New Testament are like, don't be like this guy. And God includes just this little like tidbit where this donkey's trying to save his life. And we see his foolishness because he's so angry and he starts to beat the donkey and then God reveals the angel to him. And then there's this other story. That's, it's not a similar story because there's not often like donkeys that talk. There's a donkey, talking donkey in there. There's not often that story anywhere in history actually. But uh, there's this other story and, and you know the story is the story of David and Goliath and David 
comes and he, he kills Goliath. You know that part of the story. But before he gets to killing Goliath, David's like, hey, what's the reward for killing this guy? What's in it for me? And, and then in 1 Samuel 17, 28, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And that's an interesting verse when you're thinking about anger. Because there's really no reason for it in the story. David's gonna be the hero But you know who ends up looking foolish? The person who becomes angry with his brother and out of that anger declares exactly the opposite of the truth, which is very true when we're angry, isn't it? Don't you say things in your anger that you regret later and aren't true? And here he is. He has a brother who is going to be king of Israel, who is a man, this is a quote by God about David, a man after God's own heart. And he gets mad because his brother, I don't know why he's mad, but maybe because his brother has courage, he doesn't. Maybe because he doesn't want his little brother around. I don't know why he's mad, but he's mad. And he says, you're wicked. The exact opposite of the truth. And he looks like a fool. And then there's Saul, who is king when David kills Goliath and God's already said that David will be king and so Saul hates David and uh, he wants to kill him and he chases him around and pretty much the entire story of Saul is like just an angry guy. He's just angry. He's like why you want to get rid of anger before you become Saul. And in the middle of this, there's just this moment where we see how foolish anger is. In 1 Samuel 20, 32 and 33, it says, why should, we, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. This is his son. Ask him a question about David. Ready? But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. He tries to kill his own son because he's so angry. And let's just go back a step because he's been so poisoned by his anger against David that he chucks a spear at his own flesh and blood, his very son, his kid. Anger's foolish. And then King Xerxes in the story of Esther, it's just, he's not seen as a great guy in the story. Um, Esther one twelve is where we'll read, but his wife has refused to come to him and uh, dance in front of this party. She refused really, uh, she refuses to be lusted after. There's, there's like some virtue to his queen. She's like, I'm not gonna come and dance in front of all your friends so I can be lusted after. That seems to be what happens in this story. And then this is what we read in Esther 1.12. But when the attendants discovered or delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come. Then the king became furious and burned with anger. And then he, he banishes Queen Vashti and he listens to his attendants and he says, uh, like, we'll banish her and we'll pick a new queen. And then just a little while later in the story, it's like Xerxes becomes sad because he remembers what he's done to his queen. 
And we see the foolishness of anger. Like he's angry, he banishes his queen, and then he likes his wife and her his queen. And he's like, well, this is a bummer that I made that decision. And we all know, we all know that when we are angry, we do stupid things. And oftentimes those things cannot be undone. And the Bible understands that and delivers us this story about King Xerxes who banishes his wife and writes it, seals it, says this cannot be undone. And later is like, I'm sad. He looks like an idiot. And it's all because of his anger. And then in Esther 3, 5, we see the story about a guy named Haman. And and it says this, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. In a very long story short, he gets so mad at Mordecai that he tries to kill all the Jews. He wants to kill all Jewish people, the Israelites. He wants to end the race entirely. And through a series of events that we won't look at today, he ends up being executed. (laughs) And it leaves us with this impression, this guy should not have got so angry. Anger's foolish because you might get killed. And then there's Herod in the Christmas story, and we just talked about this a week ago, uh, but we didn't express it in these terms. In Matthew 2.16, we we read of Herod who tries to kill all the kids under two because he wants to kill Jesus. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Isn't that so fascinating? You wonder, you just, I would like to be able to go back and say, like, okay, would Herod have made the same decision if he could have controlled his anger? We know that he wanted to stay in power and he wasn't against killing his relatives and his friends and his own kids and all those things. We know he wasn't against it. But if we could go back in time and we could say count to 10, you know, take a, you know, go relax, sit in a corner, take a deep breath. Like if we could just say that to Herod, would he have killed all the kids in the region who were two years old and younger? Could, could all of that tragedy, that devastation have been avoided if he just would have paused and removed some anger? And he could have still killed all the people that were close to him, but he wouldn't have killed all of those kids needlessly. I don't know, but it's interesting. The Bible says that it's all stemming from the fact that he's angry at the Magi who had lied to him about how to get to Jesus. So interesting. When you flip to the New Testament, there's kind of this uh, strange kind of nuance that, that exists when you read about anger, when you do a word study on anger in the New Testament. And here's, here it is. The people who are seen as angry most often in the New Testament are the people who are enemies of Jesus. When you look at the New Testament, you take a cursory cursory reading of the New Testament and you look at anger and when it comes up and who's angry, it's usually the enemies of Jesus. And almost immediately after they're angry, oftentimes what we see is that they begin to look for a way to kill Jesus. If you want to just study how something interesting, just look at how often that phrase comes up. They were angry and they began to look for a way to kill Jesus. They just keep looking for a way to kill Jesus. And it just makes me wonder, and, and in a passage we'll see in a couple weeks that talks about Satan, when we're angry, 
do we just look like an enemy of Jesus? Because I think we do. And I think that's one of the ways in all these stories and this connection to Jesus' enemies, when we're angry, I believe that we are expressing an emotion that looks like an enemy of Jesus. Now, I want you just to put this out there because it's, it's going to come up. It's already popped up in your head. And we're going to cover it in a couple weeks. You go, wait a minute. The Bible says not to sin in my anger. And the Bible says, uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I think we use those two things to excuse our anger. Uh, don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We're going to talk about those things. But let me just say now that neither of those statements in the Bible say, hey, it's really okay to be angry. Be angry. Just don't sin in your anger. Or, hey, anger, they deserve it. You know, be angry with them, but make sure that you don't let the sun go down on that anger. They don't say that at all. And in fact, let me just get it out there again one more time. When you look at the Bible as a whole, it makes a big deal about anger and it shows us these stories with this interesting detail about anger. These interesting details about anger that suggest that anger is really, really foolish. Okay, so this is something that I think just kind of, this is anecdotal, uh, this is maybe parenthetical to what we're talking about today, but, but I think it's a big deal because we often, and, and this is the starting point, and I'll get to this in a minute, the starting point is to say, anger is foolish, and I want to remove anger. But we don't even know, and we don't even identify what often makes us angry, and that's the call we'll look at in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Like, hey, don't be quick-tempered, basically. Don't let your spirit be easily provoked. And we don't even really, because most of us will never stop and pause and think about what, what causes us to be angry. You know what we say? They made me angry. But is there something deeper? And it's interesting in the Bible, when we see these instances of anger, that they are connected to some very profound reasons that people get angry and, and here they are and and by the way what what made this even more interesting to me is is um i actually discovered a list of things that make us angry just psychologically it was a psychology journal i think that i found when preparing for the sermon and they line up the things that the bible shows people getting angry about and the things that psychologists today kind of tell us that we get angry about and so write these down maybe because at the end i'm going to ask you to think about what makes you angry but but listen to this number one i am being treated unfairly we don't think about that, right? We say, you're a jerk, but I am being treated unfairly. Or number two, I am bl being blamed for something that is not my fault. I kind of feel that now that it's been expressed, right? You would never identify that. You'd say, you're an idiot. But you know, you kind of, oh, wait, yeah, yeah. Or how about this? Uh, I or my family have not been treated with proper respect. I think that's at the heart of, of a lot of the reason that I get angry at my wife is like I somewhere inside of me I don't feel respected like you didn't do what you said you'd do I'm not really mad that you didn't do what you said you'd do because that's not that big a deal I'm mad because I feel like I've been disrespected or or this one that person isn't on my side you feel like they've set themselves up as an enemy against you or or when you express a feeling to somebody and they're like well I think you're in the wrong and you're like, whoa like you don't tell me I'm wrong you're supposed to be on my side in fact we say that aren't you on my side 
Oh, that was number five. They dare to tell me I was wrong. Hey, actually, it's you that messed this up. Oh, how dare you tell me I messed up. And then we get angry about that. Now, there's this other thing that I think is just really valuable, and this is also from the psychology world. And some of these connect to the Bible, but it wasn't all of them, so I didn't feel a need to make the connection. But some of these connect to what the Bible says, but it's, it's important because I think some of us think we have our anger in check and we don't. I should say, some of you think you have your anger in check and you don't. Uh, and there's a lot of ways that our anger expresses itself that isn't just yelling or fighting. The first one that the kind of psychologists give us is losing one's temper. That's the one we know. That's the symptom that we are looking for. I'm angry when I yell. And so I look and I say, well, I didn't yell. I must not be angry. But this, and number two, you're going to like this because we're doing this series and, and maybe this will help. Like clamming up or psychologists tell us getting depressed. I know that some in our our midst today even struggle with depression and perhaps depression isn't because you're sad or you don't have self-worth. Perhaps maybe your depression is connected to you being angry and maybe it's anger that you don't even know about or anger from something that happened a long time ago and you've never dealt with but, but you're not expressing the anger by yelling at anybody. In fact, you don't like to talk to people. You're expressing your anger in, in your depression unintentionally. Or this one, you've seen this one, using silent treatment. Some of you didn't call somebody over Christmas or you didn't send a Christmas card because pff, you're mad, you know, and you don't think you're mad because you're not yelling or you're, you're avoiding them, but you, you're just you're not saying anything because of anger inside of you. Um, or getting even, we know that one. Or using negative, mean words. These are things that are expressions of our anger. And it would be, I think, a bad thing for us to go, well, I don't yell. I'm not a yeller. And to go, I must not have an anger problem then. Anger is too foolish for us to say, well, I just don't yell, so I must not be angry. We need to look deeper and say, how am I expressing my anger? Now, the last reason that we know anger is foolish, according to God, is that he says so in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says this. It's so important, I think. This is what I want you to leave here thinking about. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. The book of Proverbs, I'll just kind of rapid fire these at you, but the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, and it kind of just is this, this book about if you live your life like this, then you'll probably have a better outcome. It's kind of the idea. Not like if you do this, then you're guaranteed to have this outcome, but if you live your life in this way, it'll probably be better than if you live the other way. Proverbs fourteen seventeen: a quick-tempered person does foolish things. And the one who devises evil schemes is hated. Even if you don't believe in anything the Bible says, you probably agree that a quick-tempered person does foolish things, right? Proverbs 27, 4, anger is cruel and fury is overwhelming. Proverbs 16, 32, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. The opposite of anger, right? Better is a person who doesn't get angry than a warrior 
One author said this, the connection between being, becoming angry on the one hand and actually sinning on the other hand is so close in the Bible that most of the time, Jesus and the apostles simply equate anger with sin. Did you hear me? That's so important. The Bible, the New Testament, Jesus and his disciples, the ones who wrote the New Testament, anger is such a big deal to them and it's so negative to them and it's so foolish to them that they just make the equation. Between sin and anger, anger and sin, they go hand in hand. They're just tied together. Anger leads to sin. Anger is sin. And so get it in your heads. Ready? Anger is foolish. In fact, let's, let's just say it together. Ready? On three. One, two, three. Anger is foolish. I'm glad you agree with me. <laughs> because it makes that first part of Ecclesiastes 7-9 more important. Maybe not more important, it makes it more valuable to us. If we agree that anger is foolish, then we would be smart to recognize, to do, to be obedient to what it says at the beginning of that verse. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. I believe that the starting point for this series, for your quest, hopefully a quest to remove anger because you believe it's foolish, the starting point is to say, I don't want to be quickly provoked. Might be a far cry, right? Like it's too out there for you to go, I'm going to never be angry again. That would not be a good start to a, a, a sermon series, I don't think, because you'd go, well, this is going nowhere. I'm not going to accomplish that. But if we could just start by saying anger is foolish, I'm going to be slow to anger. I won't be quickly provoked, then I think we'll take a giant step forward in avoiding this foolish thing called anger. Now, when you walk out today, I'm going to be in the back as I always am, and I'm going to shake your hand, but I'm also going to give you our sermon series booklet. And we've been making one of these for every series, and I hope you've been using them. Uh, Full disclosure, I wasn't as good during the month of December because things are crazy at using mine. Uh, So I don't know if the last one was as good as the the one before it, but but, uh, this one's going to be great. And, And one of the first activities that we have in there, and so I really hope you'll grab one. I hope you'll take advantage of them. I hope you'll do the questions in there and you'll do the family time in there and uh, even if it's with a friend if it's with a non-believer whatever do the family section in there uh, do the extra reading in there but one of the first things we have in there is for you just to make a list of things that easily provoke you i believe that if we're going to be obedient to what ecclesiastes 7 9 says hey don't be quickly provoked then we need to know what quickly provokes us because not everything does what makes you mad probably won't make me mad. And I've said, and, and, and I'll try to clarify this even more right now, that, that the only person that really can make me mad is Bren. And it's not because Bren is worse than the rest of you. In fact, she's better than most of you. Uh, but, but it's because of the way that I grew up, coming from a divorced home, things like that. There's something about a romantic relationship, and it's always been that way. I never dated one person that I didn't make them more of an arguer when they were done with the relationship than when they started. Uh, there's never one relationship, and it's because of me. But, but when I, I can recognize and go, Bryn can provoke me in ways that nobody else can. I'm not a really an angry person except for when it comes to my wife. And by the grace of God, it's far better than it would be if I wasn't a Christian. But, but it's like, as I recognize that, it can slow me down. 
And so I hope that you will just maybe start by going, I'm going to make that list in that booklet. And I'm going to say, God, will you slow down my anger? Now, anger is foolish. I believe the first step is say, I want to slow down my anger. I don't want to be easily provoked. But this is the other part that you must remember and you always must remember when it comes to anything like anger, any other sense. And that is that we only have the power to overcome it because Jesus overcame the grave. You will not, if you're not a Christian or even if you are a Christian, you will not overcome anger. You will not even slow down your anger unless you are reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what we believe as Christians, this is so important to everything, including our anger, including the fights we get in with people. The thing that, that, that is so important always for those of you who aren't Christian, those of you who are Christians to remember is that you will not overcome anything that you want to overcome without the power of God in your lives because Jesus Look down on a sinful world. He said, those people cannot overcome sin. I am going to go down there. He was born. He lived a sinless life. He overcame sin perfectly. He died on a cross for our sins so that our sins could be removed. And then he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, sin and death were conquered. And our power only resides in our relationship with Jesus. And if you go, hey, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to slow down anger, slow down anger, slow down anger. You're probably just going to get angry trying. And then you're going to feel guilty when you fail. But when you say, look, the power to overcome this is in Jesus. And I will ask him to move mightily because I recognize now anger is foolish and I want to slow it down. I'll say, Jesus, please, by the power of your spirit, overcome this. Then you have a fighting chance. And when you get angry, Next week, this week, when you get angry, you'll also have the power of forgiveness for the same reason. Jesus, I'm trying to slow down, but they really, you saw what they did. I'm sorry that I got angry. Will you forgive me? We will not overcome any sin, maybe most clearly the sin of anger, without the power of Jesus and his resurrection and his offer of forgiveness and so i hope these three things that you will leave here knowing just believing not on some like yeah i believe it but like emotionally believe and and really believe that anger is foolish and you'll say i want to slow it down and then you'll look to jesus and say jesus by your amazing gospel and the power that it brings me, will you please help? And when I mess up, will you please forgive me? Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Uh, Jesus, I, I just pray that, that what I've said this morning and, and what we've looked at in your word would, would matter. <laughs> God, you know that it's our prayer just about every week that, that what we do here would bring you worship and it would impact us. And as I was just asking the other day, God, I pray uh, that, that what we do this morning, what we've done this morning and, and just finishing up uh, the day, Lord, I pray that 
it would have eternal results. That's what we pray for. Almost every Sunday before everybody gets here, we pray for eternal results, Lord. And God, if we will remove anger from our lives, then we will be just better equipped and um, more ready, God, to just serve you and to worship you and we'll be more joyful and have more peace and and I believe God that if we will if we will treat anger as foolish and understand that it's foolish and we'll try to slow it down we'll rely on your power God then then I really do believe that that we who go to heaven someday we will God look back on our lives and know that it made a huge difference and so I pray God that that you would move in people's lives God, my words, apart from your words, are unimportant. But God, your movement can impact us forever. And so I pray that you would impact us forever. Uh, Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen.